James chapter number 5, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 11 this evening. And we're going to take the title for the message straight out of the text, verse number 7. James says, be patient, therefore. This evening we want to think about this thought, that we are to be patient, therefore. James chapter 5, verse 7 says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold... The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. Be patient, therefore. James starts off this section of the book of James by referring back with that word, therefore, to the larger context of the book of James. If you think back with me to James chapter number 1, or if you want to flip back there and look at James chapter number 1, James began the book, he began his letter by talking about how we are to be patient. He said there in verse number 2 of chapter number 1 that we are to count it all joy when we fall into divers temptations. And we talked about how James is commanding us that when we fall into temptation, when hard times come, when we're tempted, when trials are in our lives, James is telling us that we are to, you know, put that down in a ledger. We're to mark it down on a receipt. This is a positive. We're to count this as joy. And really, you know, that is against our flesh. That is against the way that we think. When, when bad times come in our lives, we don't typically wake up in, from bed and think about, oh, man, this is going on in my life. Woohoo! You know, you just get out of bed jumping up and down. I've got problems today. Yes! That's not typically how most people act, right? Typically, our lower lip is dragging in the gravel. You've got pieces of rock catching in there. Oh, woe is me. This is terrible. And you know, sometimes the trials and things in life are truly painful, and it can be rough. But James tells us that we are to count it all joy. He went on to speak about how we are to let patience have its perfect work in our lives, that we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. We talked about that word perfect, how that means to be complete. And when we allow patience to have its work in our life, we're promised that we will be completed. God uses these things in our lives to perfect, to complete us, to make us entire, wanting nothing, not lacking anything. And now as he comes to drawing this letter to a close, he hearkens back to what he started the letter with. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. So the first thing that we want to look at this evening as we think about being patient 
James makes three statements in these few verses. Three times he says, behold, behold, behold. So the first thing that we're going to behold this evening is an example of patience. Verse number seven there, he says, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. The husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Now, you and I, we're, we're familiar with the idea of a husbandman, a farmer, some, one who would keep a vineyard maybe, or in our day and age, you know, more commonly, someone who's a farmer or someone who keeps a garden. And, you know, we're familiar with the idea that when you plant things in the ground, you expect a harvest. He says there, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Ms. D, you were talking about getting dirt brought in earlier before the service. Right, you wouldn't go through all the work of bringing dirt in and weeding and all of this if you didn't expect that you're going to get a harvest out of it. Right, there's a lot of work that goes into farming. There's a lot of work that goes into gardening. And it's an occupation that requires a necessary amount of patience. Right, when you plant something in the ground, even if you go and you buy plants that are already started, you expect that there is going to be some time between when you put those things in the ground and when you harvest something off of them. It, it's baked into it. You expect this is going to be a, an endeavor that requires patience. James here says that the husbandman hath long patience for it. Long patience. You think about a farmer, someone who farms for a living. And that is an occupation that requires long patience. There's a lot that a farmer risks in order to plant his crop. And there is a long time between when he plants his crop and he receives the harvest. And even sometimes the farmer will harvest whatever it is and will store it, waiting for the prices to reach the best level so that he can get the most money for his product. And so many times there is a long space of time between when the farmer spends the money and when he receives his payday. Farming is an activity that requires long patience. You know, farming is an activity that's largely out of the farmer's hands. Yeah, there's certain things that a farmer can do. A farmer can cultivate and fertilize. We even have irrigation systems in our day and age, but largely, on a large scale, farming is out of the farmer's hands. It requires his reliance upon God to send rain, his reliance upon God to send the sun and for the crops to grow. But you think about the patience that is required. You know, how foolish would it be for a farmer to plant a crop of rice around here, right? And go out the next morning and be frustrated. Where's my crop? I don't even see plants yet. You'd say, oh, did you not come into this with some knowledge, right? You don't go out and plant something and expect the very next morning that, boom, there's going to be rice filling your, your rice fields. No, of course not. How foolish would it be for that farmer to go and to till all of that ground up after spending all of the money to plant that seed. Or to go out two weeks later and get frustrated. This just isn't growing fast enough. This isn't producing fruit yet. What in the world? 
Let me just mow it all down and start over. He would say, whoa, this guy, he's in the wrong industry, right? He doesn't have the patience that is required. So James uses this example. He points out, he asks us to behold, to focus in, to think about, to look at the example of a farmer, a husbandman, and the long patience that he has. James says then, in verse number 8, be ye also patient. Be ye also patient. So he asks us to behold, he draws our attention to an industry that requires long patience. As the farmer waits for the the early and the latter rains, as they wait for the, the crop to grow, and James says, in like manner, be ye also patient. That word patient means to be of long spirit. Of long spirit. Not hasty. Not over eager or impetuous. Waiting or expecting with calmness and without discontent. James says that you and I are to be patient. Just as the husbandman, just as the farmer is patient. So you and I are to be patient. We are to wait on God. The farmer may be tempted to vacillate. He may be tempted to worry and doubt. As the droughts stretch on, as the farmer looks out and he worries and wonders, is this year going to be a complete waste? But he has to be patient. There's not much that the farmer can do in a situation like that. He may be tempted to vacillate, but he must be patient. So you and I may be tempted by the things of this life. We may be tempted to vacillate, but we must be constant. James says that we are to establish our hearts. Be also patient, establish your hearts. That word establish means to strengthen, to render constant. It's the idea of having a a foundation. Uh, We were... My wife and I were watching a video last night on YouTube of this guy up in Alaska. And he bought this cabin way out in the woods. And he's been trying to work on the trail from the road back to his cabin. Because the area in which he bought this cabin, it's kind of a low-lying wetland, kind of similar to here. And he, he got in there with an excavator, and he was digging and digging. And he got five feet down, and he still hadn't found gravel. It was all just this loose, loamy, sandy, not solid soil. And he he showed, he took it and he formed it into a ball, and it kind of compacted, but then he held it like this, and he shook it, and it just elongated and plopped onto the ground. So he's, he's having trouble establishing a firm foundation. He's having trouble getting a good foundation on which he can build his road. This word establish has that idea. Strengthening, rendering constant. You want a good foundation. And James here says that we are to establish our hearts. Our hearts. Have you ever noticed that your heart is prone to vacillate? Your heart is prone to worry, especially under times of stress, circumstances of trials and temptations in your life. Your heart is prone to worry. It's prone to vacillate. It's prone to not trust God 
as it should. James gives us this reason, though. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You and I can be patient. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. His coming is drawing nigh. It's going to be soon. And we can comfort, we can strengthen, we can establish our hearts based on the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. So we see an example of of patience. Second of all, we'll see or we'll behold the need for patience. The need for patience. Verse number 9, he says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. James now instructs us that we are to not grudge one against another. He uses that word there again. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. He points out to us the need of patience in our life. The idea of grudging one against another is kind of the idea of of fighting amongst each other. The idea of murmuring and complaining about each other. Having these attitudes against one another. Holding, you know, we might talk about holding a grudge against another person. Allowing bitterness to build in your life. James here says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Well, notice here that James refers his instruction once again to who? To his brethren. He's appealing to them with terms of endearment, with terms of closeness, with terms of love. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. James is concerned with their spiritual well-being. You know, brethren, we are to love one another. Jesus spoke about the fact, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. We are to love each other. James has talked about this many times in his letter. He's, he's talked about different things, different uh, problems that prop, uh, were popping up, cropping up in the bodies uh, of believers that had spread across the world. He spoke about the tongue and how the tongue can cause so much damage. He spoke about people having, uh, showing favoritism to people who were rich and showing uh, negativity and putting down those who were poor, showing favoritism. James has talked a lot about how we are to love one another. And once again, he comes and he says, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. We are to have patience one with another. We are not to start fighting amongst ourselves and having wrong attitudes of complaining and murmuring about or towards each other. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about yourself. It's a uniquely human problem. But typically under great stress, when problems grow greater and stresses rise and things get uncomfortable, people tend to be shorter with one another. People tend to hold grudges. People tend to bicker and argue and fight and not be as loving and patient with one another as they should. Particularly 
in families, particularly with people that we are around the most, particularly with the ones that we claim to love. It's a uniquely human problem. I guess it's not really unique then. There's no temptation that hath taken you than such as is common to man, right? Under these kind of situations, we might begin to grudge one against another. James comes and warns us about this and tells us not to, lest ye be condemned. Lest ye be condemned. Acting in this way, according to James, will bring condemnation. It made me think of this passage. He says there, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. If you hold your place here and turn over to Matthew chapter 24. The end of the chapter here, Matthew chapter 24, verse number 45. Jesus is speaking to his disciples privately. We find that earlier in this passage. And in verse number 45, he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of. James here says in our text, The judge, behold, the judge is at the door. The reality is that God is well aware of our actions. God is well aware of what you and I are doing. Jesus paints there a picture of an evil servant, one who is biting and devouring, one who is smiting his fellow servants, one who is reveling in the things of the day, the, the, the things of the flesh. He says there he eats and drinks and is drunken. Really, I think Jesus is painting a picture of a lost man. But brethren, we ought to be careful that these kind of fleshly attitudes don't crop up in our hearts and we begin to bite and devour, as James has talked about earlier in the text. Bite and devour one another. James points to the fact the judge is at the door. You know, kids are funny. Kids will bite and devour one another. That part's not really funny. But they try to be very careful about when adults are listening. And... You know, I can remember as a kid saying things or maybe getting in a fight with my sister and being mindful of where my parents were. But, you know, it was always a bad thing if I was in the middle of fighting with my sister and my dad was at the door and he heard what had been said. It never ended well for me in that case. James here points to the fact the judge is at the door. Jesus is there. Jesus is listening. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. So we see that we are to behold an example of patience. We're to behold the need for patience. But then last of all this evening, we're going to behold the blessings of patience. In verse number 11, James makes a curious statement. He says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. We count them happy, which endure. The phrase that is there, 
in that verse, verse number 11, is the same phrase. The only other place that it's used in the, in the New Testament is when Mary uses it in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 48. And she says that from henceforth, every generation will call her blessed. So James here says that we count them happy which endure. Endure. You know, that word endure is not really a, a flowery or a fun word, right? To endure means to, to hold on under stress, under provocation, under uh, not very pleasant circumstances, right? They talk about long races as endurance events. It, it requires some stick to It requires, you know, if you sign up for an endurance athlete event, you know there's going to be some pain and discomfort involved. But James here says, behold, we count them happy, which endure. We count them fortunate. We count them blessed, happy, which get to endure trouble and need to exercise patience as they wait for the coming of the Lord. Now, that doesn't really make sense to the human mind. We count them happy, which get to, to have troubles in their lives. That's what James literally says there. We count them happy. Do you count yourself happy to be living today? Do you count yourself happy to be waiting for God to come back? Do you count yourself happy to endure trouble? Do you count yourself happy because you have to endure things and you need to exercise patience in this life? I dare say, unless you're being very careful about it, you probably aren't happy about these kind of things. right? It's not a natural human response, as we talked about earlier, to count it all joy when we fall into divers' temptations. But James here says that we count them happy, which endure. It's like James is looking down into the future, and he says, wow, just if I could be one of those that endures, if I could be one of those that suffers tribulation and trouble for the cause of Christ, that'd be neat. That'd be exciting. I'd be happy. We count them happy, which endure. If you go back up to verse number 10, he says, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. I mean, that doesn't sound like a very happy thing. Suffering affliction? I mean, I think if you put a sign up, if we put a sign up out here in the foyer, write your name down to suffer affliction. I don't think there'd be too many takers, Right? But James is talking about how this is a, a blessing. It's a good thing. He talks about the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord as an example for us of suffering affliction and the patience that they had in the midst of that. I thought of Jeremiah the prophet. You know, Jeremiah had a very interesting ministry. Before he even began his ministry, God warned him about it. And God told him that people weren't going to listen to him. I mean, I don't really want to sign up for that kind of assignment, right? Jeremiah, I want you to go and preach to people who don't want to hear what you have to say, 
They're going to be angry with you. And in the end, Jeremiah, they're not even going to listen to what you have to say. Jeremiah 7.25 says, Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. That's a rough crowd. That's not the kind of assignment that I want. Thought of Isaiah the prophet. You know, tradition, history tells us that Isaiah's ministry ended when he was running from the king and those who were trying to kill him. And he hid in a tree, a hollowed out tree, and they ended up sawing him in half. I mean, that's a rough way to go. But he did that in the service of God. He was one who was an, is an example for us of suffering affliction and of patience. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36. Why don't we turn there? We're real close. The book of Hebrews, just before James. Not the other way. It's just a couple pages over. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 36. Of course, Hebrews 11 is known as the hall of faith as it talks about those who have suffered affliction, those who had faith in God. And in verse number 36, it says, And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better things for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So he, he gives us this example of those who have suffered affliction. They had patience and they didn't even receive the promise. But brethren, this evening... They are an example for you and I of how we ought to have patience, how we ought to endure affliction. He goes on in our passage here in James chapter number 5, and in verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The patience of Job. You think about the man Job, he was one who has certainly endured much. In fact, I don't think that really anyone can claim I've lost more than Job. He lost everything. He lost all of his children, he lost all of his wealth, he lost everything that he had, and if that wasn't enough, he lost his health. And he suffered greatly. His wife was bitter and angry with God in the midst of all of that. And she said in Job chapter 2, verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And those that were still left around him, his, his very wife, was encouraging him to get angry with God about all of this. 
But the Bible tells us in chapter number one that even in the midst of losing all of these things, that Job did not sin foolishly. Job retained his integrity. You think not only about his wife, his friends, the ones that came to comfort him. You know, they sat there for, I believe it was seven days, they sat in silence with Job. But then they began to talk and they began to accuse him of being worthy of everything that he was receiving. That he must have done something very wicked and that he was receiving judgment from God because of that. But you know, in the midst of all of this, Job remained faithful and patient. And we know the end of the story. We know how richly God blessed Job in the end. Job is an example of one who had patience, who endured much trouble, trial, and affliction, but yet held on to the promises of God, remained patient and faithful. James here tells us the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, that word pitiful, we kind of use it differently today. If we say something is pitiful, it means that something is in very bad condition. We might talk about a, a house that is, you know, it's in pitiful shape. Or a dog that's astray and it has all kinds of problems and it looks like it's not going to live much longer. We might say that that dog looked pitiful. But that's not how this word is used in this text. The word pitiful means to be full of pity. That's how the word used to be used. It means that God is tender that God is compassionate, that God has a heart to feel sorrow and sympathy for the distressed. James describes him as very pitiful. When God looks at us, he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is very pitiful. In the midst of trials and tribulations that we might go for, God is not somehow unaware of these things. He is very pitiful. Not only that, he is of tender mercy of tender mercy. You think the mercy of God is God giving to us that which we do not deserve. He's, he's withholding from us the judgment maybe that we deserve and He's giving us good instead. God is coming to us with things that you and I are not worthy of in any sense of the word. He's full of this tender mercy. Not only is it mercy, it's tender mercy. James here paints for us a picture of the blessings of patience. The blessings of patience. You see, we can count them happy which endure. And you and I, if we get to be part of that, we get to be part of those who endure, those who suffer affliction for Christ, we can count ourselves happy when we consider the character of our God. That's really how James wraps all of this up. You have heard of the patience of Job and seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. You know, the reason that you and I can be patient, therefore, unto the coming of the Lord, the reason that we can be patient and establish our hearts, the reason that we ought not to grudge one against another, the reason that we ought to count it joy, the reason that we ought to take for an example the prophets is because of God and who He is. That he is a God that is very pitiful and of tender mercies. You and I can count it all joy in divers temptations when we consider our God. 
when we walk with him through the trials and temptations. You know, we can be patient to the coming of the Lord because it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. It's either going to happen before I die, or it's okay because I'm going to go to heaven. Either way, it's a sure end for me. Not because of who I am, but because of him. Because he makes it a sure thing. So we can be patient. We can endure trouble and trial in this life when we have the right perspective. We can be patient. You know, the farmer, he can be patient because of the perspective that he has. The farmer looks down the road and he sees the harvest that's coming. And he can be patient. You and I this evening, oh, we can easily get our eyes on the things of this life the troubles and trials of this life and begin to worry and stress and fret. James says, be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. He gives us an example, an example of patience. He tells us of the need for patience, that we don't begin to fight and bite and devour one another. And he reveals to us the blessings of patience. The blessings of patience. That we ought to count ourselves happy. Not just because we have trials and troubles, but we count them happy, which what? Endure. Get to the end. Remain faithful. Not that we just bring troubles and trials upon ourselves, but that we suffer for Christ. The Lord is very pitiful and tender and of tender mercy. This evening, brethren, be patient, therefore, under the coming of the Lord.